Welcome back to Those Happy Places, the podcast that treats theme park rides and attractions like literature. I'm Buddy Duquesne. And I'm Alice White. And this week we'll be talking about Disney's California Adventure and its perceived failure, both in theming and in storytelling, during its early years. We'll also be looking at the stated ambitions of the park while exploring the concept of simulacra in relationship to a theme park based almost entirely around real-life cultural landmarks. But first, hey Alice! Yeah, buddy? You and I were about, what, 11, 12 years old when California Adventure opened? Am I right? That's about right, yes. And when the park opened, we were both annual pass holders who were regular visitors. Am I right about that? Right again. So when you were a kid experiencing this brand new thing, the first theme park opened in uh, opened in California by Disney in the last 50 years, nearly, uh, did you experience any of the things that people, in retrospect, uh, were critical of in the park? That is a complicated question. My first reaction was to say, no, absolutely not, that I loved California Adventure uh, right from the beginning. But um, but I don't know if that's true. I don't know if I'm just remembering the good times that we had at California Adventure. Um, like, we used to go all the time, and we had our favorites, um, and we were annoying little, you know, teenagers causing a, causing a ruckus. Um, and I think that might have been fun, but, um, uh, I'm not sure if it's nostalgia, uh, tinting my, uh, tinting my first, uh, my gut reaction to that. What, what about you? Do you, do you remember any of the, the, the criticisms or, uh, or if they meant anything to you back then when it opened? It's funny, uh, the, I don't remember... Like hearing about, and, and you know, keep in mind we were both kids at the time. Uh, but I don't really recall hearing about all of the criticisms that, you know, now that we do, we do a little bit of research and we kind of reflect on the park. Uh, I don't recall hearing about them until I saw, of all things, an episode of The Simpsons, uh, <laughs> where they, I think they got arrested and thrown into like a secret CIA prison. Uh, <laughs> And, like, they broke out, and at the end of it, uh, somebody says, well, still beats Disney's California Adventure. <laughs> and that was the first time that I thought to myself, wait a minute, do, do people think California Adventure is bad? Uh, and then I kind of started to develop uh, kind of some opinions in that direction, uh, kind of around that time. Uh, and and I, really, I really think about uh, the first thing. Uh, that, that stands out to me in the, in the badness department is how we kind of had to create our own fun, just like you were saying. Yeah, right? we always did. We always created our own fun. We had inside jokes and we had certain spots in the park that we knew weren't going to be very crowded that we could go to and, and just like kick it with our friends. Yeah, um, and it was, it was mostly a hangout spot more than anything, especially, I remember eating at the McDonald's that was there, uh, Burger oh Invasion, it was called. Uh, oh my and, gosh, I forgot they had a McDonald's there. Yeah, it was a, it was a $10 Big Mac. Uh, <laughs> and I remember just kind of hanging out in that huge, nearly always empty seating area over by Paradise Pier. Uh, oh, yeah, and I remember. The, uh... 
tortilla factory and the um sourdough bread factory yeah and I, so we would go and grab our free tortilla and our free slice of sourdough and we would nosh on that and just kind of sit around and like kind of watch the park go by uh but i don't i don't really remember like really wanting to go on any of the rides outside of screaming and uh soaring and, and the Maliboomer. Oh, the Maliboomer, yeah. Uh, and maybe the swings, but you know, I, I kind of remember even avoiding the Sun Wheel, uh, which is now Mickey's Fun Wheel, uh, because it was just the kind line of line was so long. Yeah, and it was always it always kind of underwhelmed or uh, overwhelmed with with the motion of the cars. Uh, so it was it was just a lot. Is is how I remember it in the early days. I remember it being a lot. Uh, and, and just kind of all at once. Uh, and now looking back, now that we've done a little bit of research, I think we've kind of landed on some of the reasons maybe that these feelings maybe have, have come back up or maybe why we just kind of naturally started treating the park this way. And I think it comes down to the way DCA, as it is called, uh, tells its story. And that story is is kind of complicated. I think we should start by talking about the story that Disney California Adventure was trying to tell on on day one, on the day that it opened um, in two thousand one on in February two thousand one. Um, I think we should talk a little bit about um, the attractions and shows that were present and the. St- the theming and story that uh, that the park was trying to tell. So, Alice, when Disney's California Adventure opened in February of 2001, there were four districts with 22 shows and attractions and 15 restaurants. That seems like a lot of restaurants. It is, and, and that was an initial complaint, is that uh, there seemed, at least from a guest perspective, to be more shops and restaurants than there were uh, actual attractions. Uh, so, uh, you know, a, a lot of the, the attractions that opened, you know, a few of them uh, have basically, uh, they've, they've survived unchanged since parks opening, right? Right. A lot of the, the structure of the park itself is still there. Uh, Paradise Pier um the the grizzly peak um <laughs> the the different uh the the shape of the park is all still about the same it still has a similar plaza opening but a lot of the uh opening day like icons um are are no longer present in the park for example uh the big uh Calif- the word california outside right out front is gone as well as the replica of the Golden Gate Bridge, uh, which uh, you could see from from far away, and uh, you passed under on your way into the park. Those uh, both of those are are gone, which changed a lot of the um, uh, the the facade of walking into California Adventure was supposed to look like you were walking into a postcard of California. Uh, right. And at the time, that was that was actually one of the largest uh, mosaics in the world. This beautiful, in retrospect, truly beautiful uh, mosaic style entrance with the huge California letters right in front of the park. 
kind of uh kind of sinking into the park. You can you can kind of see the the postcard kind of opened up so that you could walk through it. And it was uh, it was it was like you stepped off of the street and into a postcard of the like idealized California. And I think uh, idealized California is a is a term that's going to come up a lot in this discussion, right? Definitely. It was this this idea that uh here's California, no warts at all. California as we wish it could be. Uh, in a lot of ways that mirrors, uh, Main Street USA, uh, and kind of what we were talking about with the trains last week. Right. It's like, um, uh, Main Street USA is supposed to be welcome to insert generic small town America here. Whereas the entrance to California Adventure is, is, um, is as if you were, walking into every California town at once. It's Yeah, the, it, the it, whole it, darn state it, at one time. It's like Main Street USA, but somehow, even though it's a whole state, more specific. It's funny that, that it kind of uh, has both that specificity and that generality. Uh, and I think that that contrast is really interesting. Of course, now we know that it, it has been remodeled into Buena Vista Street, right? So right. a lot of that stuff that was there, including the giant reflective sun icon uh, and the, uh, I don't know, the, the rest of the fountains and stuff that kind of lined that area uh, have been replaced by this, this new kind of theme that kind of tells a different story. But that's not what we're really here to discuss. So as guests kind of enter the park in, in its original form, it's kind of saying welcome to California. Uh and and here is all of that stuff about California that you expect to see. Uh and it, it is beautiful. It's it's well crafted. Uh now how effective is it? That's a really good question. <laughs> <laughs> how effective is the the current entry? No, we're talking about day one. Day one. How effective was day one entry? Well I mean, minute one entry was probably pretty cool, or or for anybody not from California, it was probably pretty cool. I I had the privilege of of being able to talk to and and interact with and spend a lot of time with people from all over the world, and it seems like that kind of idealized representation of California, as if it's a picture perfect postcard where there's Beach Boys music playing all the time and, you know, sunshine and and this kind of, like, this glossy facade of California is the reputation that the state of California has all over the world. And so for the first time that you walk in and maybe the the if it's your first visit to California, it might have been extremely effective. But I think a lot of that glossy sheen of what looked like the idealized California soon became um, almost like a, like an outdated parody of itself. Somehow that 2001 design got dated very quickly. And then, and then it, it felt like at least looking back and looking back at pictures, it, it felt like you were walking into a postcard that was 
uh, almost laughing at your perception of California. Yeah, almost, almost, uh, so fake so as to, uh, point out its own fakeness. Right. And certain other opening day attractions, uh, throughout the park, um, made that, that contrast between like real and idealized California super, super obvious also. I'm thinking specifically about the travesty that was the Superstar Limo ride. Oh my goodness. Can we, can we talk for a moment about the Superstar Limo ride, which opened in 2001 and was closed by 2002? <laughs> I didn't realize it closed that fast. Yeah, one year. Because I have such an incredibly vivid, vivid memory of that ride as if I had ridden it a hundred thousand times. Something about it sticks in my head so thoroughly. <laughs> it, and that talk about dating itself quickly. That ride was outdated on opening day. Yeah. Day it had, one. It had references to a, a version of Hollywood that hadn't existed in decades. Uh, and at least, was, at least a few years, right? Uh, yeah. uh, it had, it had this, a uh, concept of fame that felt very, very uh, artificial. So artificial, and it leans really heavily on, um, on on references from the from the like eighties and nineties when uh, it was kind of it was almost like an MTV generation. I look at what fame is, sure, and it 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 used a lot of like business lingo from the business and um and this idea of this like overly tanned beverly hills agent with bright bright white teeth driving you around and there's the stars and and uh, there's the walk of fame it's just this talk about like a, a parody of itself but the superstar limo ride was like like, okay, you've walked into this picture perfect version of California, and here is this weirdly irreverent, a little too mature for a dark ride. Like, look at the Hollywood business, of which Disney's a part of. So it's weird that, that they would pick it apart like that. Yeah. It, it, and, it dated itself so, so quickly. Absolutely. And, and, uh, listeners who want to know more about the Superstar Limo ride, uh, I recommend, uh, Defunct Land has a wonderful episode on YouTube about this ride specifically and the, uh, production kind of travesties that happen along the way. It was a very different ride in its early days, uh, and eventually became this kind of uh, monstrosity that got away from everybody who was involved with its production. Uh, and the thing that I remember the most about it is, uh, either not knowing who these people were that were being shown to me because they're not iconic Disney characters, uh, and they're not having a fun adventure that I'm along for the ride on, uh, or being bored because the ride is very, very slow. Uh, and yeah, it's slow, but it's, it was also like hectic and, and loud. And so, so it kind of was both at once, right? And yeah, you're not, you're not moving very fast, but there's a lot happening, like cameras flashing and people shouting and, and the agent guy on the, on the recording in the limo yelling. It, It was just, it felt like, uh, a very 
very rushed, confused production. So it was no wonder that it closed down in 2002 and has since been replaced by uh, Monsters, Inc., Mike and Sully to the Rescue. Yes. Uh, now, now here's a here's another opening day attraction that uh, was in Hollywood, the Hollywood backlot, um, as it was as it was called in 2001. Uh, the ABC soap opera Bistro. Oh, we had a request from someone on Twitter that we talk about the ABC soap opera uh, Bistro, or rather mentioning it as something that they wish that they could have experienced. Uh, when did that close? 2002. So it was another, it was another year long, uh, thing. I don't know how else to call it. It only lived a year. Uh, and in that year, uh, it was a restaurant with dining areas that were replicas of sets of Port Charles, All My Children, One Life to Live, and General Hospital. None of which I've ever watched. Uh, rest, according, according to its Wikipedia entry, uh, restaurant employees would involve visitors in mock scenarios based on the plots of those series. Uh, and Alice, you and I were looking at a few photos of the, of the, the dining option, as it were. Yeah, we were, we were far too young to be interested it in something like that. Really was not for us, was it? No, not at all. Uh, not in 2001 and 2002, and probably not today if it were still open. Uh, but then again, looking at it, it really did look like an appealing, uh, fun, interesting, well-themed dining area. Uh, so it, it is kind of a shame that you and I, even though we were there almost all the time, uh, never got to even really consider it an option. Right. But I wonder what a a restaurant like that in the middle of a theme park, in the middle of specifically a Disney theme park, um, was doing to like the immersion of of being in a in a theme park. That that kind of like restaurant feels like it should belong at Universal Studios or something. Universal Studios as a place that wholeheartedly embraces. The, the peak behind the curtain of movie magic. Yeah, the kind of where artificiality Disney, of it all. Right, where Disney relies so heavily on full immersion and suspension of disbelief. I I wonder what a, a restaurant like that says about about Disney, like why Disney chose to to, to use that. And that's that's really interesting because now that I think about it, uh, probably the last thing or one of the last things that I want to be reminded of while at Disney is that they also own a network called ABC uh, and that they also yeah. own ESPN and that they also own, you know, all these other companies and uh, that they're just kind of leveraging these properties to make a, uh, a, a variety of differently themed shows, mostly for grownups. <laughs> right. And that's the, it's a difference between Disney owning Marvel and Disney owning Lucasfilm and developing those worlds like as, as lands and as places you can go and places you can be immersed in. Whereas ABC and, and ESPN are real world, like kind of, there's no disbelief. Yeah. They're there. just, they're just kind when of you, businessy TV networks. They, they report news and, uh, show soap operas or sporting events. Sport. Like there's not yeah. a lot going on there in terms of imagination. 
Right. So I guess soap opera is as close as it gets to fantasy for like network, a network, network TV like ABC. Uh, it, it's, it does require a, a version of suspension of disbelief to, to believe that these, that these shows might not, not real. I'm pretty sure every soap opera fan knows how fake and, and silly it is, but I get, I guess it, it goes with the theme. But to specifically go into a place like that, like a restaurant like that, that is on purpose surrounding you with set pieces and like, this is what the set looks like and not a, oh, you're on an adventure with the characters. But But to to point out to you how fake it is and, and, and almost to, uh, to wink at that. Uh, and to say like, this yeah. whole thing is fake and welcome to, welcome to the fake theme park, the, the fake California, the fake Hollywood. Uh, and I could yeah. see where that, um, kind of adds to the discomfort that you might feel. Imagine getting off of superstar limo and being like, I need, I need something to eat. This is, this has been too much. And then to sit down and to be kind of assaulted by, uh, the fakeness of it all. Um, <laughs> And to have somebody sit down and be right. like, "You're on General Hospital. Here's the set." Uh, feels kind of kind of wrong, almost almost sleazy for Disney. It does, and and it directly contradicts that postcard opening that that you walked in on. It just it doesn't feel like this, like pretty glossy, idealized. California anymore it feels like a like a peek behind the you know a peek behind the curtain it's a and and that's not anything Disney does yes. usually yes um in contrast to that though uh it also in in the Hollywood studios or Hollywood land part of um uh, was the uh, animation studio which which is still somehow Yes, and that, that is still there, and, and it was there on, on day one. Somehow the animation studio is is a look behind the curtain, like a how how does animation get made, and it's also like a little educational on on the process, but it still feels it 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 it, it and there's a reason why it it is still around. Was it it somehow walk that way. Yeah, it still feels like an adventure. It feels like being welcomed into this magic process of animation. And it's backed up by the the kind of phases of the uh process that you're able to take part in, right? The uh the sorcerer's workshop with the zoetropes and being able to work with frame by frame. And then Oh, we had so much fun. <laughs> and with then those. choosing your character on that quiz uh and then lending your voice to Ursula. To- yeah, where where it's not just oh here's how voiceover works, but they give you this like little game where where it is Ursula actually stealing your and voice. and that might have been my first and and this is so funny because here we are sitting in front of a pair of microphones and putting this on the on on the line as it were, uh, <laughs> but that might have been my first experience with you know voiceover at all. This is kind of standing in front of this thing and putting my voice into, uh, I think it was the seven dwarves. Hi ho, hi ho. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, that was the shortest one. I remember, like, if we couldn't stick around the animation studio for very long, we could do 
just the hi-ho song. We could sing along with that. But we also used to just like add our own dumb jokes and it would play <laughs> Completely it back Completely ignoring us the and... script. Yeah. Yeah. We used to do the scene from Aladdin and we would give Jafar funny voices and that was all part of it. And, and I think, uh, that may have been an early intention of California adventure in general. So if you don't mind, I'd like to talk about my pet topic this week. I would love for you to talk about your pet. Topic. I would like to talk about the, uh, educational purposes of California adventure. And I'd like to talk about the, uh, kind of three themed areas that were directly just kind of saying to its audience, like, learn something about the state. Um, and one of the opening <laughs> day areas that is now called a bug's land was originally called Bountiful Valley Farm. Uh, it was a combination oh, okay. water play area and educational exhibit about the agriculture of California. Uh, and it had displays of farm equipment, uh, which were all I'm learning now, uh, caterpillar products. Uh, and they, they showcased the crops that are specifically produced in California, which is a very big farming state, uh, which is something that a lot of people, when they're thinking about the postcard version of California, uh, kind of tend to forget, right? That we have these large expanses of very fertile land that we can grow special crops on, uh, crops that you can't grow elsewhere in the country or crops that uh, just grow better here. So here's this area that says California is wonderful. And I think that's part of the story of California uh, that California Adventure originally wanted to tell is California is wonderful. And here's something special about it that maybe isn't fun when you just look at it, kids, but actually has a lot, has a lot to do with the state's culture and it has a lot to do with its role, maybe either as part of uh, the country or part of the rest of the world. Uh, and that that farming culture, I mean, Anaheim itself was a farming town before it became Disney. Uh, so to kind of pay homage to that and and point it out is noble, I would say. Right. Specifically, that land. um that land that, that Disneyland sits on now was a bunch of orange groves. Uh, which, which might bring uh, us to another, uh, now defunct attraction. Uh, yeah, uh, so, the, the orange stinger, <laughs> which, <laughs> which I believe was just a giant orange peel with bees inside of it. It's a, it's a, a strange concept uh, or a strange theming for a very simple ride. But the orange is culturally important, especially to right. the Orange County and Anaheim area. Right, it's or it's called Orange County for yeah. a reason. There was acres and acres and acres of orange groves, and it's still like like culturally significant to the surrounding areas. Like, uh, nearby Cal State Fullerton, uh, one of their colors, they they're like a navy and orange is their is their color, and orange specifically because of the orange groves that used to be, uh, all over and around the campus. So. Um, so, yeah, so the, the orange groves or the, the references to the, the farmland that is all over California as part of what then became Bugs Land. Right. Uh, and 
you know, in in retrospect, I, I kind of see the connection to some of the other areas of California Adventure, including the winery, which was called the Golden Vine Winery uh, in 2001 and uh, is still there today. Uh, and the winery, you know, pointing out California's rich wine heritage uh, and our areas of the state that uh, are wine producing. I think the Golden Vine Winery even has some uh, grape vines that it has, uh, you know, constantly growing and being harvested and things like that. I'm not sure if they produce their own wine, um, but that is another piece of California that is very much, and I, I don't know how else to put this, not for babies. <laughs> uh, right, as, kids as an can't adult, have fun with that. I did just eat at the restaurant up there and sample some of their wines up there um, just this past, I say up there, it's up on a hill. People who haven't been might not know that, but I refer to it as up there because it's up on on like this big hill in the middle of the park. Mm. Um, just this past October, I was there with my mom. It was really the first time I'd, not the first time I'd been to California Adventure since being of legal drinking age, but the first time I ever spent any time up there appreciating it and it's and it's just lovely it's it's got the food was really good and the wine was great and our dinner reservations came with two priority seating tickets to the world of color that night which perfect was it was exactly perfect it would it would have been it, it it was it was just like a perfect night it was a perfect way to end the night as an adult even though there were there were kids at that restaurant, but they were not having as much fun as my mother and I were right. with our delicious wine and cocktails. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so again, you know, uh, good theming, um, you know, noble idea connecting to California's wine culture, uh, maybe even a little education because it opened with a show, uh, a film presentation called Seasons of the Vine. Uh, oh, I did not watch like Which that. took viewers That's through the so journey hard. of wine production in California. It was closed in 2008. Uh, so, so, you know, that, that educational slant, that uh, pointing out a piece of California's history and culture and then kind of, you know, explaining it and maybe giving you a chance to experience it a little bit. So speaking of experiences, uh, uh, one more now defunct uh, thing in California Adventure uh, was in what was then called uh, the Pacific Wharf, uh, and that was an area based on Monterey's Cannery Row, which is an amazing place to visit if you're ever actually in the state. Uh, actually going to visit, way more fun and interesting than the uh, book Cannery Row. <laughs> no, nothing like <laughs> Not that. A, <laughs> uh, a, lot, a lot of great areas to hang out, and they have, of course, the Monterey Bay Aquarium, which is one of the best aquariums ever. Uh, but the attraction that I wanted to talk about was the Mission Tortilla Factory. Uh, <laughs> an important an important attraction to us, as we said before in the episode, uh, we would grab our free tortilla from the tour of the Mission Tortilla Factory, and uh, we would... But you'd have to go through the whole show to get to your free tortilla. Right, so we would... And we would sometimes go like two or three times a day. <laughs> So we would we would get in line and then we'd watch the tour and we'd wait for the animated dog to say Maseka. Maseka. And then we would say it with the dog just like that. And then we Maseka. would <laughs> We would go and the, the tortilla machine is going nuts making these free tortillas and we would just grab a few and it was no big deal. Uh no one was with us 
uh, almost ever. It was so yeah. It was like they would they would run the tour just for us, <laughs> uh, which you know again we'll we'll talk a little bit more about um, the 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 low attendance and stuff like that. Um, sure. But you know the the tortilla factory pointing out California's relationship with Mexican culture and Mexican foods, uh, and then kind of explaining where the tortilla comes from. And the process that has, of course, been modernized over many generations, and then kind of giving you a chance to experience that, a sample of a tortilla. Uh, and right across the way, of course, is the, it's still there. It's the Boudin Bakery. Boudin? Boudin. Not important. Sourdough Bakery. You get your slice of sourdough bread at the end of a very similar tour. Uh, and that's much more San Francisco focused because that's where the bakery actually is. Um, so, you know, these, these tours, these, uh, areas that are meant to kind of represent real life areas of California, uh, and the, this, uh, intention of educating the guests, of giving them a chance to learn something, and then like a little treat at the end, uh, <laughs> is, is, is very, very, uh, it's not antithetical to Disney completely. Uh, Disney doesn't always want to just entertain you. Uh, there's a lot of material produced by the company, both uh, in the past and currently, that is educational in nature. Uh, I'm thinking of Bill Nye the Science Guy, uh, which was a Disney show. I'm thinking of my, my favorite animated short of all time, uh, Donald Duck and Math Magic Land. Right, where I knew, I knew you Donald, Donald travels uh, to a magical world of mathematics and learns about music and uh the golden ratio and uh you know it's it's really really dumb and beautiful uh so even thinking about the epcot center uh which you know stood for the experimental prototype community of tomorrow it was this idea that there could be an entire theme park that was designed like a an ideal community a community that used technology to uh, make a better future. And it's a very educational park. There's an attraction there called Living with the Land, for example, that is a display of different farming techniques. Uh, and you know, it's been a very long time since I've been to, uh, Florida and the Epcot Center. Um, but California Adventure is not alone in this. Uh, and I don't think this part of the theme park uh, deserves as much ridicule perhaps as it received. Um, because there are parts of Epcot that are uh, just as, just as intent to, uh, intent on educating you, just as intent on telling you a thing about a place and then letting you experience it. I mean, that is the global pavilion area, right? Here's a thing about uh, name, name a country, Norway. And here's your chance to learn about Norway on a ride. Uh, and, and maybe the execution wasn't so great in California, but the, the spirit of that, the intention was still there. And I think that's, that's actually something that's pretty special. Yeah. I never really thought about it like that. And I've never been to Epcot, so I don't think I was uh, able to make that connection before. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that you did because. Yeah, so much of day one California Adventure was educational, um, or at least demonstrative. Like, look at 
California and look at how great this is and look at all of the cool things that you can find in our very cool state. <laughs> all uh, of the cool things you can find in our very cool state. It's a very cool state. I would like to, I would like to petition, I would like to petition, um, to, to have our state motto changed from Eureka to, to very cool state. Look at all the cool things you can find in our very cool yes, state. And I'd like that printed on every California postcard. I'm actually, I'm pretty sure that that's what Eureka translates. Oh yeah, it, in, in the Latin. In the Latin. <sighs> So, Alice, you know, I've kind of uh, covered the uh, stodgy kind of en- educational kind of school, but at Disneyland kind of side of the park. Uh, and maybe I was thinking about passing it over to you uh, now that I've kind of covered everything. I uh, so- think you didn't cover everything. You're missing, uh, I'm sorry? You're missing something very, very important. I, I don't I don't believe that I <laughs> skipped anything. Uh, what I believe you skipped was the uh, 23-minute California extravaganza that was Golden Dreams. The, uh, featuring. Featuring Whoopi Goldberg. Featuring Whoopi Goldberg. You're right. And, uh, Alice, you know, for a little while that, that attraction was a uh, a joke between you and I, right? Yeah. Uh, but you, you, we were just talking about it when we were planning this episode, and we've decided that Golden Dreams, above all of the other things in California Adventure, uh, deserves kind of a, uh, a second look. Uh, because as, as kind of silly as it might have seemed, or maybe as it might have seemed, um, unappealing to us, especially in 2001, uh, between the years of 2001 and 2008, which were basically, uh, our, all of our high school and middle school years, uh, when we, we would have scoffed at it and, run the other direction practically. Uh, this is 23 minutes condensing the history of California, romanticizing it a little bit, and also pointing out kind of the different dreams of the different groups, many of which are historically marginalized groups, uh, as they came into the state. Uh, and I think if we're going to talk about that the right way, we're going to have to spend a little more time on it than we have today. So we're going to skip it for now. But don't worry, Golden Dreams, we will be back. Yes, I think uh, uh, an entire episode dedicated to Golden Dreams may sound unconventional, but I think it's a, I think it's a pretty good idea to take another look at that. So, yeah, moving on from the, uh, from the educational side of uh, Day One California Adventure, um, let's talk a little bit about about the fun stuff. Uh, specifically, let's talk about Paradise Pier. Let's talk about Day One 1.0 Paradise Pier. So, so Day One 1.0 Paradise Pier was supposed to be mock-up of... Uh, <laughs> oh, hold on, let me... Kind, kind of a, 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 an amalgamation of... An amalgamation of the different uh, boardwalk style piers that we have in California, uh, specifically the Santa Monica Pier as being uh, the closest one to uh, to Los Angeles and to Disneyland. Uh, day one, Paradise Pier was kind of a gaudy, um, like over-the-top, uh, like Almost carnival. garish. Like garish, yeah. yeah, carnival. And it was supposed to remind you of, and they had, they had games that you could pay extra to play. They had uh, the the Malibu, which was designed to look like uh, those like um, 
mallet games that you play um at a at a at a carnival where you Of course that was a space shot themed ride. Uh so so the kind of ride that uh starts you off at the bottom of a tower and then shoots you up. Yeah, rather than like bringing you to the top and and dropping you. You shot up and then there was the bell at the top. Um like like one of those games that you play at the carnival and right. a traditional boardwalk style roller coaster, California Screamin', which still might be uh with the exception of what was Tower of Terror and now is Guardians of the Galaxy might be the best ride in in California Adventure. It's- I I tend to dis- I I don't disagree. Uh I think I think Screamin' has been and maybe when it when it's rethemed as the Incredicoaster uh will be maybe the smoothest best roller coaster of its kind. It is a uh, wonderful roller coaster. And it is really good. And it was their opening day and in in all of its glory uh and it was meant to recall the great wooden roller coasters of the past but it was nothing like them. Uh cuz it's, it's smooth mo- and uh, it's and it's modern fast steel and, tube design. Yeah. It's uh with with of course a launch which is so cool. The launch is cool, the loop is cool. It's the only ride in in the Disney park in the California Disney parks that uh goes all the way upside down. Yes. And um is 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 generally really fun. And so the so you walk over to Paradise Pier and you walk under you get there's a couple ways into Paradise Pier, but I like to to walk under that kind of hugely uh gaudy and garish Paradise Pier sign uh in in the middle, uh going over the water. And there's you know a carnival and it's got a carousel and it's very it's very basic. It's like <laughs> Basic, I think, is a very good word for it. It doesn't push any boundaries. It doesn't change anything that you know as a pier style theme park. It's just Paradise Pier on day one. There's nothing to distinguish it from any other pier that you can go go to Santa Monica Pier and ride a roller coaster that's actually over the ocean. Sure. And this is going to bring me to and bring us to the conversation um on the simulacrum. On the idea ah, this, of the this, simulacrum. This literary concept on this, the show that treats uh theme park rides and attractions like literature. We're actually now going to go ahead and talk about a literary concept rather than just our interpretation of stories. This is this is legit. So so simulacra is kind of a postmodern concept, right, Alice? Yes. I love postmodernism. I love talking about postmodernism. <laughs> Um, so simulacra, um, shares, shares its root with the word, uh, simulation. Uh, the idea is that, uh, a, a, a simulacra is a representation of a representation or a symbol of a symbol. It is not just a symbol on its own. It's taking a look at 
at a thing as it represents the idea of a thing. Am I explaining this right? Maybe you can. Uh, I think, I think you're, you're getting towards it. Uh, so it, it means that there's, um, there's the reputa- representation of representations. Uh, and there's also the, uh, the criticism, the critical part of it, uh, which, which kind of says that simulacra challenge our perception of what is real. Um, and it, it, that simulations can serve as substitutions for the original rather than representations. Uh, so this creates a distance between the simulacra and the original that kind of not destroys, but definitely muddies the water surrounding the original. Uh, so the original in, in the face of a good enough simulacra, uh, can be deemed unnecessary. Uh, so when we're talking about Paradise Pier and maybe by extension, the rest of California Adventure, uh, we are looking at a theme park sized simulacra of these original things here in our glorious golden state. Right. Paradise Pier is not just a physical representation of the piers and the theme parks on piers that we've been to, but rather it's a representation of the representation of those piers. Yeah, it's almost a a, uh, a copy of a copy. Yeah. It's one order of magnitude removed from, say, a postcard, which is a copy. Uh, it, it then copies the postcard and brings it to life. And that's exactly the very, very, very first steps that you take into Disney's California Adventure 1.0. It's this postcard look, but it's also what this postcard would look like if it came to life. And so it's, it's two steps back from the real thing. Which, where California Adventure struggled, was it's two steps back away from this real thing. And that real thing is across the street. It's around the corner. They're creating this simulacra of California when you're in California. It's... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's it's so strange and and that was that was a very early complaint of the theme park uh the word simulacra wasn't really thrown around i think just generally uh but the complaint that the park was redundant that it uh had things that you could visit just as easily as visiting disneyland depending on where else you were able to go while you were either visiting california or while living there uh, Santa Monica Pier uh, and and Paradise Pier by extension is probably the most egregious, right? Uh it's it's kind of hard to get to downtown LA, you know, you got to kind of wait in traffic, you got to figure out parking and stuff and uh Hollywood on its own is is kind of a difficult thing to get to. Uh-huh. Santa Monica Pier has a parking structure. Uh it it can be visited. It's got a whole beach next to it. It's a very big area. With lots to do. And aside from the traffic, yeah, is very easy to get to. Uh, um, and it, it literally under an hour from Disneyland. And it's right on, there, on the right day. Looks, and it looks exactly like Paradise Pier. Maybe, Almost. Well, not quite, right? Oh, yeah. Not, not, 
not quite. <laughs> and that's the thing is if you might look at it from afar and go, oh, it looks like Paradise Pier. But it's Paradise Pier is like a hyper real version of of a of Santa Monica Pier or uh, the Santa Cruz Boardwalk at Santa Cruz or right. It's almost it's almost so basic and bland that is somehow all of those boardwalks and yet can't quite capture why those places are so iconic. And and they don't capture the the parts of them that make them uh, special or original. Uh, Santa Monica Pier in and Santa Cruz, for example, are separated by hundreds of miles, and there are different cultures surrounding them. Uh, for example, next to Santa Monica Pier is what's called Muscle Beach, right? Oh man, Venice Beach, Muscle Beach. Uh, these these areas that are dedicated to uh, certain styles and that have remnants of certain movements uh, that that are in and of themselves unique and are part of a culture and, and the and, pier and the real pier counterculture right and significant counterculture as well so the real pier uh, as as you know cleaned up and and kind of corporate as it is on its own now is a symbol of Santa Monica. It's this icon that people kind of flock to and rally around and have built communities around. Paradise Pier is nothing of the sort. Uh, it is a completely clean, sterile, not natural, uh, not a wooden coaster, even though it looks like a wooden coaster. Right. <laughs> it's to its, to its very structure, a, a fake, it's a phony. And what, all of these theme parks, like all of California Adventure is, Disneyland is also, it's not really the Matterhorn Mountain. It's not really, uh, the, a uh, big, beautiful mansion in the bayou of New Orleans. It's, it's all fake, but they somehow missed the, missed the part where these things can be fake, but also like immerse you in the like the feeling of really being there. Yeah, and I think that's a huge difference between California Adventure and Disneyland. Is that Disneyland feels uh natural, but also exotic and fantastic and lived in and weird. Uh whereas California Adventure feels bigger in some ways, but less intimate. Uh yeah. less less personal. And less exact. I feel like the Haunted Mansion, even though there are several Haunted Mansions around the world at various Disney parks, I feel like our Haunted Mansion in California is its own place. It's a real place. It's it, not... It, it represents other things, right? Right. But but it is also its own thing. It might as well have grown out of the ground there in that spot. And I that's, think that's this... partially just successful theming, but I think there's also something going on with what it, what it is, uh, and how it, how it is placed there. Here's, here's another thing too, and something that it may not seem immediately obvious, um, just like to the layperson. Um, but it's not just theming, but Disney did something very, very specific with Disneyland that they ignored with California Adventure. And that is uh, completely enclosing 
part. Right. Another that- another huge complaint uh, in its opening was the the lack of a berm. Berm right. is the word. The word is berm. But uh, Disneyland itself is totally shut in. Uh, you cannot see any outside power lines. You will rarely see uh, like planes flying over. You there's. When you're in Disneyland, you are in Disneyland to the point where when I worked there, somebody asked my coworker why it was raining. (laughs) She was so convinced that Disneyland itself um, controlled its own weather system. Well, it it turns out that that is an incredibly expensive system to run, uh, and they only turn it out during peak uh, park days. Yeah, and that's so. Yeah, so that was just a slower day and it wasn't worth it. But, uh, yeah, the, <laughs> that, that, that immersiveness, that, that feeling of Disneyland being, uh, separate, uh, and magical in that separateness as well, uh, is absent at California Adventure. Right. In Instead, California Adventure, you can see the, the, the power lines of the surrounding city of Anaheim. You can. The Anaheim Convention Center. The Anaheim Convention Center can be seen from Paradise Pier. It's and you can see my there. house from uh, the top of California Screaming. That's not really a lie or a joke. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I can see your house from there. I mean, I would always say, I can see my house from here as I, as I went up. But that was just, <laughs> I think, me being silly. Uh, we were very close to Disneyland. What, what can I say? <laughs> and we did spend a lot of time there. Yes. A lot of time on that ride. Uh, but, but yeah, it's, it's funny because, um, you know, the, the simulacra concept, uh, kind of, kind of applies to both of the places for sure. But I think in California adventure is used in perhaps the destructive way. Um, the way that says, I'll forget the actual Redwood National Forest. Uh, (laughs) here, here is a safe challenge trail where you can learn all about the wonders of the Redwood National Forest uh, and never experience any of the actual challenges of going to it. Right, uh, in that dead zone part of the park that I forgot. We about. actually never even talked about it until but, just now, right? And, and Yeah, we did not mention that in planning or anything. <laughs> but, but let's be real. It's a nice part of the park. Uh, it's, it's pretty. It's very well-themed. It's pretty. Grizzly River Rapids is a fun enough raft ride. Uh, it's connected to the Grand Californian, which is a beautiful hotel. And the place at which they're connected, that little bridge there is really, really pretty as well. Yeah, but that's all it is, though. It's just it's pretty. pretty. It's it pretty, pretty, but, but instead of saying, like, look at, look at what we've, I don't know, it, it, it's different than, say, walking through the forest or the, the jungle of Adventureland, where, that that theming is is different. There's there's stuff going on. There's there's shops. There's rides. There's there's a whole section of the back end of the park by the Grand Californian that's just a walk path through trees, and it's pretty, but it doesn't serve a purpose except maybe to make you think for a minute that you're actually in a forest. Yeah, to kind of kind of kind of give you that impression, and I think that's yeah. that's what a lot of California adventure is about is impressions. Uh, one of Alice, uh, one of my favorite things, uh, about California Adventure as you kind of round that, uh, corner through that walking path is you look to your left and you see the painted ladies of San Francisco. Uh, right. 
not next to nothing. Uh, next, next to nothing. Next to nowhere. Next to no shops. Next to no dining options. Next to no attractions. Uh, except now, uh, it's kind of close to the Little Mermaid ride. What was once Golden Dreams. Uh, right, but, but it's not even like right over over near like the Pacific Wharf section of the park, which is supposed to be like the Bay Area kind of look. It, they're not connected to each other. They're very far away from each other. They're, they're like, easily a an, another rounded corner, and you know another two minutes walking. It's yeah. weird. It's weird that that's a thing that that exists. It feels again purposeless. And I think that purposelessness is another thing that uh California Adventure lacks over Disneyland. Disneyland, which feels uh smaller in a lot of ways. Uh it's smaller, I think, in a lot of ways. I think I think it is like literally smaller, but uh <laughs> but but feels denser for all of that smallness. Uh whereas California Adventure feels empty even even in its current incarnation. Sometimes. Right. So, buddy, that brings us to present-day California Adventure, I think. I think now we should just spend a couple minutes talking about uh, about California Adventure 2.0, or the, the, uh, the renovation of California Adventure, which kind of actually started in 2004 with uh, the addition of uh, the Tower of Terror. Hollywood Tower Terror Ride, which was a huge draw and really kind of started changing people's perception of California Adventure, uh, as a, as now, oh, this is a, this is a place to go. This is where the, where the cool rides are. I think right. as, as we started entering high school, let's say around 2005 to 2008, 2009, um, we started treating California Adventure as a place where um, it, if you wanted to, to go to Disneyland for fun, cutesy nostalgia, you went to California Adventure for the thrills and the chills. Yeah, and, and California Adventure very much kind of uh, embraced that part of its identity, I suppose. Uh, because, you know, early, early criticisms, again, were more towards the, you know, there isn't anything here for the kids to do. Uh, the kids can't ride these rides at uh, Paradise Pier. The kids don't want to learn about California history or culture. So what are they supposed to do? Because the ABC soap opera dining option really isn't for them. Uh, <laughs> so California Adventure, uh, I suppose somebody must have said, okay, fine. You know, it's not for them. Uh, and they added, you know, another big thrill ride in the Tower of Terror. And then that kind of changed the attitude. Uh, now California Adventure is a little bit more uh, mature in the willingness to be thrilling. Right. And we appreciated that growing up. Definitely at the time. Um, but and the, then, the renovation is, of California Adventure is ongoing, right? Right. Because recently, um, just in the last couple of years or so, they've decided to take out some of the original theming, specifically uh, starting at near the front of the park, uh, they removed the big were the big California letters. They took out the Golden Gate Bridge. They completely overhauled the um, the entrance plaza to now what is called uh, Buena Vista Street. Buena Vista Street is 
now this really beautiful uh, themed area that is supposed to look like the Los Angeles in the 1920s when Walt Disney arrived from Missouri to make his way in in the business. To seek his fortune. This is Walt's California. Walt's uh, California adventure, as you might say. I might even say that. You might even say that. It's funny because, uh, you know, as part of the rebranding, as part of the refurb, they dropped the apostrophe S from Disney's California Adventure. But really now it it, just plain old Disney California Adventure. But it really now does seem like this is Disney's California Adventure, at least the Buena Vista Street part, Uh, which, which then kind of links up to Hollywood. Uh, in a, in a really nice, cohesive way. Uh, this kind of little area, this corner that is all Walt's Hollywood as he would have experienced it. Right. And, uh, other little details have changed throughout the park too. For example, they took out the giant orange, uh, from the orange stinger. Um, and now it's a ride called the, what is it? Silly Symphony Swings? Silly Symphony Swings. Silly Symphony Swings is now like a, it's a, it's still the swings, right? It's still the same like classic kind of carnival ride, but instead of being a giant orange for a California, it's themed now towards the early, early Disney cartoons. Part of what made Disney Disney when he first started out. So somehow these little changes that have been made and the taking out of some of the more garish and obnoxious parts of the park, like the superstar limo. And they changed the theming of the Mulholland Madness ride to the uh, Goofy Sky School. Uh, some of these dated cultural references about California now become almost like a period piece. Yeah, a sort of, a sort of celebration of a uh, emerging Disney culture. Right. Uh, maybe perhaps even before Disneyland was a thing. So kind of kind of retro to to the nth degree. No longer right. 1955. Now it's 1925, 1935. Right, and that somehow just those itty bitty little changes have stripped away one of those layers of the simulacra, and now feels less like a parody of itself and more like a symbol of. California. Right. A symbol of, of a certain piece of California history. Uh, and, and that piece of California history just happens to be the insanely popular, uh, you know, rise of Disney. So I think of Carthay Circle, which, you know, is a rebuilt kind of representation of the theater that Snow White premiered in, in 1937. And it's this, uh, beautiful restaurant on the inside that has, uh, pictures of Walt Disney. And, uh, you know, it kind of celebrates the award winning kind of rise in popularity of Snow White and kind of how that put the studio on the map and really solidified it as a, a national brand. Uh, and that's so much more meaningful than, uh, dining in a soap opera. Um, <laughs> they keep going back to that. I, I, I'm I'm sad to make fun of it over and over again, but really, it's not a very good concept compared to look at this time and place, this other time, this other place that you can step into. Right. The, it it becomes that immersive 
immersivity, immersivity. Yeah, sir. Immersive? Immersivity. Immersivity. We're gonna get that printed on a T-shirt. Uh, I like it. Um, it 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 brings that immersivity into California Adventure that we did not have. It 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 puts it it puts the park in a time and place rather than just free floating its way through all of California history. And it, uh, and, and in that way, uh, forms itself a, 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 a small, but, uh, not, not insignificant connection to the original Disneyland park. And, and by giving it a, a time and place and kind of cementing it to the ground a little, it now, the two parks can almost feel like two halves of a of a whole. Sure. It's two halves of the same experience sure, almost, rather almost than companion pieces to one another. Right. Rather than just, oh, there's Disneyland, oh, and also California. <laughs> you know, we were we were talking to each other um before the show about how maybe California Adventure will never be on equal footing with Disneyland in terms of belovedness and timelessness. Uh, popularity. popularity. Uh, but you know, it, it, it may be, it may be on its way to being close. Uh, and I think, you know, some of, some of the recent changes, especially have come under a little bit of fire, uh, such as the decision to now change the Bugs Land area to a Marvel themed land. Uh, and also, you know, Cars Land, which, I, I thought Cars Land was a, a nice way to kind of bridge a Disney property with... Oh, I think Cars Land is beautiful. Uh, it's, it's amazing. It's a nice way to bridge a Disney property with California as a culture. California loves its cars, but also uh, Monument Valley uh, and those areas kind of along Route 66 are not s- just in California. They're just as much a part of Nevada and Arizona, perhaps. Uh as they are Californian, but you know, the Route 66 aesthetic is very Californian as well. And a lot of people experience it on their way to California. So Cars Land, I, I always thought was kind of a natural fit, but you know, uh, Bugs Land always kind of felt like, uh, a little shoehorned, you know, a little, a little not quite, uh, Californian. And this new Marvel Land is kind of not very Californian either. Uh, it's not, and this might be where some of the theming starts to fall apart. Not that I'm not excited for Marvel Land. No, I'm, I'm, uh, let me, let me be clear. Marvel Land is going to be awesome, but does it <laughs> contribute to the cohesiveness that, that maybe California Adventure 2.0 was heading towards? Uh, maybe not. Maybe not. No, maybe not. And maybe Star Wars Land tacked onto Disneyland might not be either. But there's still at the at the end of the day, what we do keep forgetting is that Disneyland is is for for children, uh, and these you know these movie tie-in rides and stuff like that have always been really popular with kids, and um, and maybe it's okay that not every single little thing fits exactly right. And then also maybe we can just trust that the Imagineers know what they're doing sure. and that they'll find a way to tie it all together. Sure, absolutely. I mean, uh, it seems to me with the, the retheming of Paradise Pier to Pixar Pier uh, and now the addition of Marvel Land, 
you can kind of see Buena Vista Street as the beginning of Disney as an institution. And then you can kind of see the celebration of the modern in these new places. Ooh. Yeah, I like uh, that. And, and, and very, being very up-to-date and very technological and being thrilling uh, is part of what Disney's trying to build into its current brand. So, you know, California Adventure can be a showcase of that as well. And I think a great example of how that kind of all fits together might be the World of Color uh, light show, uh, which, you know, opens with that classic Walt Disney presents the World of Color, right? And that's from the, from the 1950s TV show with Walt. And then, you know, you've got kind of a celebration of all of the great movies that have come out since then with light and music and water and pyrotechnics. And it's great. It, it, I think what what Disney California Adventure can be is a celebration of the present and past of Disney and the things that bridge the two. Where Disneyland might always be kind of rooted in classicality. Classicality might be a new word. Uh, might always be I'm gonna start making a rooted list. in classicality and rooted in, uh, you know, broad stroke genres. Uh, and certain ideas that, that were kind of integral to its construction, California Adventure can say nah to all of that and just kind of be like, Marvel is our new thing. Let us show you how big and great Marvel can be. Step into the world and meet your heroes. Uh, Pixar is the cutting edge of, of animation technology. Step into that world and meet your heroes. And it's a different kind of invitation, but I think it's a valid invitation. Yeah, I think it it has the potential to be something really great. Well, Alice, our time talking about DCA 1.0, Disney's California Adventure on its opening day, has come to an end. Uh, but now is the time for us to have a couple of shout-outs and responses from listeners out there. That's right. We had a really excellent week on Twitter, striking up multiple engaging, fun conversations with a, a lot of really cool Diz Twitter folks. So thank you to everyone who uh, is, whether you're listening or not, thank you for at least engaging with us on Twitter. We're having a great time. Yes, thank you so much. Uh, so uh, at NixPix, that's N-I-X-P-I-X-W-D-W, shouted us out uh, in a in a welcome tweet, just like a thank you for following. Uh, which started a huge love fest with a lot of people. Uh, and we really enjoy that. Twitter can be kind of angry and negative sometimes. And we really appreciate a nice, good, positive thread where we all just like share how happy we are to be connected to one another. That was pretty hey, great. There's a lot of, of, uh, random tweets about hugging people. And it just, uh, yeah, it got, it got real lovey dovey and was really super nice. Um, so thank you, uh, Nick's picks. Uh, we also, we got a, a, a lot of interest and excitement for this episode in particular from a handful of people, including, uh, uh, at Orange Grove 55, uh, at Avoid Temptation. <laughs> Temptation. So good. Uh, at Oakview Films and at Jacob Edward Lynch. Um, we, uh, all responded to our tweet about, uh, about California Venture and about um, uh, the, the, the various subjects of tonight's episode. Um, 
they uh, they brought in a lot of good ideas. They were the ones that uh, one of them I don't remember that which was one Jacob is the one. Edward Lynch. Is it Jacob? Jacob shared um, the pictures of the uh, soap opera bistro and got us really excited to talk about it. So excited that we mentioned it more than once. I uh, just it's it's on my mind ever since Jacob. Uh like mentioned it. I was like, what is this thing? Because it, it was right in front of our faces for a year. It was right for there. A year. I mean, we were 11 years old and didn't know what a soap opera was, but it's too bad. We, too bad. We missed out on that. Um, because I would go to it now, probably even not as a soap opera fan. I would participate. If it was at universal studios, you know, I'd be all over it. Absolutely. Um, Oh, and I would like to, uh, specifically thank, uh, Charles Gustine again, um, for having just all the best movie opinions. <laughs> <laughs> Charles and I bonded this week on Twitter, um, over our, our mutual love of a couple of different movies, uh, Shakespeare in Love and Crimson Peak specifically. Uh, he is an incredibly intelligent, funny person to talk to on Twitter, having a, a, a great time. Uh, listening to each other's podcast. His podcast is called Iconography and it is my current podcast obsession. Uh, he does an, an incredible job, uh, on, on his podcast and, uh, and I, yep, I, I, I went ahead and left him a five star review, um, <laughs> which everyone who listens to and enjoys a podcast should do for that podcast that they listen to and enjoy. It is the quickest, best way to help us out. That's true. Um, and, and one thing I'd like to say about Charles specifically, because I, I also have really enjoyed talking to him on Twitter. Uh, it is because of Charles that we are sitting here talking about DCA 1.0. Uh, Charles gave us this seed of an idea. Like, I wonder, you know, what, what was the storytelling in DCA 1.0? Why did it fail the way that it did? Uh, what happens when people don't buy into the entire concept of a, a theme park? And that really got us thinking, and I hope, Charles, that we've kind of satisfied your uh, your curiosity on that front, uh, because we, yeah. I'm, I'm really proud of the conversation we just had, so I think we might have really landed on something great about DCA. Yeah, and, and we still would like to hear uh, more from you on the subject, uh, and more from everyone on the subject. If you'd like what, uh, you know, if you like it, if you have thoughts, if you have opinions, if you think we're super wrong about everything. Um, you know, at us. All right. Uh, oh, and thank you so much to special correspondent Kate Prince for all of her love and support. Thanks, Kate. We love you. And thank you so much to honorary commentator Natasha Taudry for, uh, just being generally amazing and supportive. Uh, again, guys, uh, just whenever, whenever you have a thought about one of the theme parks that you find, uh, important, and interesting just send it our way and we would be happy to respond to you guys uh we love discourse with our fans thank you for listening to those happy places i'm buddy duquesne and i'm alice white the research for this episode was done by alice white and edited by buddy duquesne this episode was produced by alice white and edited by buddy duquesne our theme music is golden gate by the california feet warmers featuring phil alvin Find the Feet Warmers on YouTube or on their website, CaliforniaFeetWarmers.com. I just realized that that theme song was super appropriate for this week's episode. So it really thank was. You. Thank you, California Feet Warmers and Phil Alban. Thank you to both of you. 
And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, and tell your friends. Send people to our website at www.thosehappyplaces.com and join us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash thosehappyplaces where we're always talking about theme parks and ideas for future episodes. And we're also on Twitter. That's right. I'm at buddy underscore Duquesne. Duquesne is spelled D-U-Q-U-E-S-N-E. And I'm at Alice White, T-H-P, for, you guessed it, Those Happy Places. Thanks for listening. We hope you return to Those Happy Places.